Welcome to the How I Went Viral podcast. This show will tell you how to write better LinkedIn posts so that your ideal reader can see and read more of you. Every week, one LinkedIn author shares their strategies and tactics so that you can learn how to write better posts, and you will learn the background story behind their viral posts. Your host is the Hollywood-trained film script analyst, entrepreneur, and LinkedIn influencer, Simon Chapuzo. Welcome to the next episode of the Viral Post podcast. And today we have a very special guest. I'm very excited to have him. It's Eugene Cheng. And Eugene is special in many ways. He had, you could say, three viral posts, but also he is the first guest that I have on the show that is from Asia. I feel like we have a underrepresentation of Asians, so I'm very excited to have you here to change that and uh, hopefully encourage more Asians to become active on LinkedIn and uh, share their thoughts. So welcome, Eugene. Yes, thank you. Very excited to be here, yes. and I agree with you 100%. I don't see enough Asians on my own personal feed, and I'm Asian, <laughs> okay. based in uh, Southeast Asia and Singapore here. Let's, let's change that. I'm not really familiar with Asian Asia, but your name sounds Chinese. Is that right, Cheng? Yes. So in Singapore, we have, we're sort of like a melting pot of culture. So we have people who are from originally India, China. There are a lot of expats that stay here right now, but the people who used to settle here were originally from Malaysia. And they basically just stayed, you know, so we have Malaysians, Singaporeans that are basically a mix of three different races, Malay, originally from Malaysia. Uh, the Indians, as well as uh, the, the Chinese. Obviously, the Chinese make up the grand majority of the people that are based here. But uh, yeah, we are sort of a mix. So that's kind of special for yeah. our region because most other countries, you have people who are one specific nationality and ethnicity. Here, we have a few. Yeah. Mm, cool. And going on a little tangent here, I know it's the topic of the conversation, but your native language is then Chinese, English, or... All of us here speak English. It's been a national agenda since the early 90s, yeah? So I have a second language, so I can speak some Mandarin, although I'm not very good at it, sadly, but there are a lot of people here who can speak that language very well. Okay, cool. Then let's stick to English, because I don't speak any Mandarin, and English is easy. Cool. So let's get started. How I found you was a post you did on ChatGPT, and ChatGPT is now like the big thing everybody wants to talk about, or does talk about, so... I think that is the first post that I saw of you. And then I saw the other posts that you did that are sort of around writing themes and uh, public speaking and communication. And um, tell us about your business and then we can talk about your LinkedIn game. Sure. I think if I told you the full story, it'll take too long. So I'm going to give you the short unabridged version. Yeah. So my business partner, Kai Sing and I started the business when we were 19 and now I'm 29 and I just had a kid. So it's been many, many years and we initially started focused on presentations. So we would help CEOs, business leaders when they are having these very important moments or when they're doing fundraising. Uh, since then, we've kind of evolved the business over time. We also provide training for Fortune 500 companies like MasterCard, etc. And uh, now we're focused more on messaging and positioning. So for example, if we service B2B companies, they usually are at a specific stage of growth. They are struggling because either they aren't really sure of the core of what they're doing and how that's different from everybody else. And they need to have that communicated to their customers in a very simple way. Uh, that's when they come to us. We interview customers. We find out what makes customers buy and what is the triggers that basically help them choose them over other people. And basically, that's the service. Yeah. 
I can see how coming from presentation design and helping with the positioning, how that helps you heavily to do good work on LinkedIn. Because uh, if you don't have a good positioning on LinkedIn, no point in posting anything. And also, I think like presentations are a way of posting. It's a similar way to engage people's attention and sort of keep them interested in what you have to say. But anyways, it's your show. Let's talk about, yeah, let's, let's take a deep dive into LinkedIn. How did you move from, or how did you discover LinkedIn? When did you first start posting? What, what are your first steps and um, your journey on LinkedIn? The interesting thing is I knew about LinkedIn when I first started the business when I was 19. It was when LinkedIn first started many, many years ago. I didn't know it was that old, but now I just start to realize I got my first gig actually via LinkedIn. And previously before they acquired SlideShare, I posted a lot on SlideShare at the very beginning and it really played to my skill sets. Now we call them carousels, but in the early days, there was no carousel format. There was SlideShare where you would share presentations. So that was really where I got exposed to everything. So honestly, looking back, I, I would say LinkedIn played quite a big part in inspiring me to do some of these things. And I met a lot of my early mentors from LinkedIn, but I think I had a bit of hiatus from LinkedIn. I think I didn't spend uh, the past five or six years posting at all. Mm. Uh, so I just went cold, right? I only started this year or later part of last year when I had my kid and I had a lot of time at home and I started to explore the platform again. So I'm thankful that I did because I realize now what a bit of opportunity that it really is. And tell us more about the first steps you did then. You took last year when you went back to LinkedIn. So like your first post, did you have a strategy or you just went in and tried it? Um, yeah, I, like most people and like most Asians, I tend to overanalyze things. I would say I sat on my first post for at least two months, to be <laughs> really honest. So I, instead of really just jumping into it, I studied a lot of top creators and influencers. To be honest, like Justin Welch was someone that I saw really early on and I thought, wow, this guy's really taken LinkedIn and created a whole business around it. Although that's not what he's really selling per se, but it was interesting that that was how he built his brand. And I started to see that there were other creators I would say actually a lot of them who want to follow that same roadmap and they're doing okay, some doing better than others, as well as another adjacent group of people that have built an authority around specific topics, right? Now we're seeing a lot of AI experts inverted quote unquote, right? And we also see a lot of other people talking about marketing. And I also saw content from this guy called Chris Walker from Refine Labs. He's also quite popular in the B2B space. So when I began to dive a lot deeper into how these people were using LinkedIn, I realized that it was at least in my perspective, one of the best ways to build an inbound marketing motion because initially in the early days, we didn't really have an outbound motion. We didn't really do cold calling. We didn't really reach out to people so much. And it's just been our natural way of acquiring clients. We were very used to referrals. And you know, a lot of people will come and they'd say, well, that's not how you do lead generation. That's not how you acquire clients. You need to go out co-call them, find them, and tell them different things to make them buy things from you. And that just didn't sit very well with me. I felt people were smart enough to decide what they wanted. If they didn't want to buy, you can force them. And we tend to be able to do that research on our own. So after doing some client research, basically we called up about five to six of our top clients and we found out that how they were learning about new trends, how they were finding new providers, vendors, or even just learning about general things that helped them be better at their job was from LinkedIn and other sources like Gartner and other reports, general third-party sources. But the fact that LinkedIn was one of those sources really spoke to me 
and inform the decision that this was a platform that was really a uh, greatly underutilized and we needed to look into it. Yep. Sounds like a very systematic decision-making process. <laughs> I, I think too much time spent on thinking, more time should have been spent on producing, but I'm, I'm glad that I at least studied the, the mindset that you need to get into this. You need to not worry as much about what other people might think and you need to have a good system that you can maintain that cadence because especially in Asia, people are scared. They're not, they have things to say, but they're not saying it. It's very weird that we see a lot of people who are rather loud, not so much with a lot of substance. They're saying a lot of things and instantly they stand out because in our region, everyone's so quiet. No one really wants to share and to be told in some regional um, areas, they just don't speak English. So they write in their native language. For example, in Indonesia, they write in Bahasa. In Vietnam, they write Vietnamese. So you find it a bit inaccessible for some people because of that language barrier. But in countries like Singapore, where we all speak English, I think it's a great opportunity for us to really put up, put our bread out there. So let's talk about that in a second. Before we come back to this topic, which I found very interesting, why are Asians not that present on LinkedIn? So let's go back to your first steps on LinkedIn. So you had a very systematic analysis of, of the platform itself, what the top creators do, what works, what doesn't work. And then after two months of deliberation and work on this one post, you, you took the leap and you start posting. What did you then see like in the first couple of weeks as you started to post more stuff? Because you had an evolution in your style. So what were the early learnings? I think the early learnings for me was LinkedIn happens in phases. What I mean by that is there are certain formats that just happen to become popular. For right now, at this moment when we're doing this podcast, carousels are very popular as a format. Didn't used to be. And that format has been around for a long time. I believe it's because with so much more written content, as we are seeing that scale up, we need more visual interest. And at the same time, it's just an easier way to consume. Our attention spans are getting so short. So as I began to start posting, I posted a lot of text-specific posts. So it's just short posts, long posts. Again, I wanted to really get the cadence in. And I think it got to a point where I realized that the engagement was not as high and you really have to try very hard to get the topic just right, to hit um, what people would really want to read about. And because there's so many things that are already written about general topics like B2B marketing and all that, to really stand out, you needed a different angle. You needed specific points of view, which I also began to form after a period of time. So I think having that from the get-go makes it a lot easier when you can shape it around your own concepts, your own philosophy versus just kind of recycling platitudes because people are going to read about it some way, somehow from somebody else. For example, if you were saying, well, you need your CEO to understand about marketing. If not, you're going to be wasting your time. You need to speak the language oh. of your customers. I mean, <laughs> it goes without saying that you kind of have to do that nowadays unless you are really, really new to the industry. So you need to give something that's a bit not so obvious. And I think something that you can only provide if you have experience. So I started to write a lot about personal stories, not just ones that are, oh yeah, I've been through a lot of hardships and you know I've gotten to where I did because I've done certain things. Obviously that has a good mix to it. Those have very high engagement and I think give people a flavor of who you are. But if you can combine that with specific insights that add value to people, people like case studies, people like step-by-step step um, analysis of things, people like curation, I feel if you can save someone time, and you can get them to perform better at their work, they will start to become your fan over time. I think that's something that sounds simple to do, but actually it's a lot more difficult than you think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, 
sometimes I feel like LinkedIn is sort of like I open the stream and sort of the same messages shouting at me time and again, like, I don't know, CEOs, you need marketing and uh, da, 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 and how to do a better meeting, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I have read this a gazillion times. And as you said, the, the high art, I believe, is to sort of find your own niche, your own unique magic weapon and some merge that with something that's more accessible to the to the broad masses. And then, then you have a unique uh, positioning. So love that. So over time, defined your own niche and discovered slideshows or did you slideshows right from the beginning? I didn't get into carousels because... I used to post some of those before. Some of them did pretty well, but looking back, it wasn't the right time. You know what I mean? I always had a thesis that it would eventually get popular because I was following some guys like Chris Doe and I, I really like his stuff and I always liked that since we have that background and that capability, it's such a waste that we don't produce it, right? So that's one. The second thing is, I think it only came to me that if I were to spend that much effort to make something like that, I want to have a bit of a following first to kind of boost that, uh. to boost that engagement, right? Because if it's not discovered organically, I'm going to have a problem because I'll be spending too much effort for too little return for my time. Uh. So I started with some text posts first to kind of see which topic kind of would work out that has some interest. Then based on that, I started to create carousels based around those topic pillars that I felt would be, have the highest chance of generating interest. At the same time, uh, I also looked at what other people were creating and which were the ones that sort of performed a bit better, just as a general empirical research. Then moving back, you start to realize that there's a formula for it in some ways, like certain topics, certain angles, and not a lot of people know how to create for this special medium. So I think we were early on that. I don't know how long this will go for, but you know, I'm going to milk it for as long as I can. Mm. Tell me, what are your like top five things for carousels? What works and what doesn't work? Sure. So the first thing is, I think the actual topic, right? So if the topic isn't something that's going to be, but that hasn't had, doesn't have viral potential, I think it really depends on what you want to do. If you want something that's going to convert clients or add value to a very specific target audience, then that's fine. But if you want something to go viral, it needs to have general appeal. Uh, some gurus will tell you that you shouldn't do that. Again, I don't think that they're wrong. It depends on the perspective, right? If you don't have a following, no one's going to boost your post with engagement and no one's going to see what you're producing. So my view is that you need to kind of build that base up front. Then you move towards more specific posts over time. Uh, then you're going to get a lot more results. So in the case of why the ones that I posted went well or basically just had more general appeal, for example, uh, brands like Nike are well known by consumers. So everyone knows them and they're very well known for marketing. And because my topic is specifically around storytelling, marketing, so I analyze their ad campaigns, right? So that's one example. For the business consulting and McKenzie, my background ensures that I speak to a lot of C-level executives and senior people. And they are, they're always talking about this brand. They're always talking about, you know, I want uh, presentations to look like McKenzie. I want them to communicate as well as them. And because the brand is very well known for that, I'm not originally from McKenzie, but I have a lot of friends who are from there. So I just thought that would be useful for people. At the same time, it would have a lot of general appeal that even if you are not my target audience, but even if you are not from a very specialized role, you'd be able to understand it. You'd be able to benefit from it. And it's something that you'd be happy to share with your friends, right? So you'll realize that now a lot of the posts that are properly viral are reposted a lot. So if you don't get the repost, technically you can't really say that the post went viral per se. Right, you can get likes and all that, but that doesn't really go very far. the The exposure is limited, uh, and I feel when people are willing to take ownership of this idea and make it their own, that's when you have true 
by reality because they buy into this point of view, but they're willing to take ownership of that and say that that's what they feel as well. You know what I mean? That I think that's a distinction. Apart from just something that you think that people like, they like it enough to say that this is what I believe too, and they want to own that opinion. Yeah. Starting a movement. Yeah, I guess <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Micro steer. Coming back to the question of five five things. So one is the topic, so get the topic right and make it specific to a target group. I think I think I heard another thing which is leverage brands. You did that with Nike, McKinsey. ChatGPT, if you want, is also a brand in a certain way. Correct. Sorry to interrupt you. For the third one, ChatGPT, I would say that's more of like trend jacking or news jacking. I think it was still early days. ChatGPT literally just released. Before everyone started posting about ChatGPT, I saw it and I thought, well, since no one's talking about it, and I could kind of reverse engineer what I did for LinkedIn and make that useful for people, um, then I would do that. Obviously, after I did that, I saw a few other people posting about ChatGPT as well and how to use it to create content. I mean, I don't think it's anything that I own or that is unique to me, but it's just I feel because you could come up with that early, then you can get that traction early on. But obviously, if you're a bit late, then that will take some time for you to kind of get onto the next thing. So again, I think trendjacking and being a hit on news is important so that you can capture that general appeal very early and uh, be able to build upon it. Mm. That's so interesting what you're saying with trendjacking because I've seen, I've collected a lot of viral posts over the past year and many of them you could see very timely because it was a topic at the time. In your case, the chat GPT thing and uh, in other case, it was like a political topic, but something that people felt very strongly about or had a huge interest at that point in time. And with some of them, the interesting thing was I could see that they were copied by other people, sometimes verbatim, and uh, reposted after a while, and they just didn't work anymore. That ship has sailed, and as you said with ChatGPT, you were you were early before anybody was talking about that. And uh, I don't know. I feel like over the past two weeks, my stream was flooded with ChatGPT slideshows and sort of like great ideas how to write your own post. So, but um, some of them did well, but many sort of like didn't really move the needle big time. Okay, so we have the topic, leveraging brands, have a timely thing, ideally, but sometimes it's not possible. What are the other two, three things that you have for great slideshows? Sure. Obviously, the cover is really important. Look at it as a book, right? And you're not going to buy the book until you see the cover image and it needs to arrest you and you're like, oh, wow, this is probably something that's interesting. It looks like something that someone has put a lot of, a lot of work into. I use Midjourney a lot, which is the AI tool for generating AI-based images. I know how to use it, I would say, to a certain extent pretty well. And obviously, I come from a background where I taught myself design, so I've been able to use that to create uh, pretty decent covers. You can see the latest carousel that I posted about Elon Musk. Uh, I like the cover a lot. I know it didn't perform as well as I hoped it would, but uh, I'm pretty proud of the cover, so you can take a look at that. So I would say that is pretty important. Most people don't really care about that, but they should, right? As important as the hook is, to lead people into the content, I think the cover is just as important. You can really stand out because in the sea of people who don't have that background, since you do and you have that skill, why not just use it, right? I think you need to be smart about what expertise you have. How can you share this information in a unique way based on what you are able to do that other people are not and use that to make it special, right? And so people look forward to this particular thing that you're known for. 
I think there was this friend of mine on LinkedIn. Um, I haven't met him before. His name is Nick. I can't pronounce his name. I think it starts with a B or Broker Man or something like that. I'm sorry I mispronounced <laughs> it, Nick. But I really like the stuff that he did with Carousels. Uh, he's also a designer. So I remember when he was recommending me and posting on another thread with my with tagging my profile, I recall him saying that um, he knows me for creating eye candy carousels, which is great. Obviously, I don't want it to just look good, but it has good content. It's easy to digest and you can get a lot of useful information from it. So I've always also made it a point. I thought I would say this is the next point to try to put a lot of useful information inside it, right? Not just things that you can find out on your own, but my analysis on the topic, how you can use that for the business. I've always made it a point, even in the early days when I create content, to make it actionable. That's really important because if you're going to read it, you're going to spend time on it. You want things that you can do. So if I'm going to show this to you and you interpret it in your own way, that's okay. But I also want to give you my feedback on you can do A and B based off what you just learned here. I always feel that gives people at least something that's shareable that they can use. In fact, for the post about Nike and also McKenzie, I know for a fact that there are people who didn't even engage on the post, but they are sending it to other people and saying, we need to do something like that. I know for a fact for the Nike one, there was an agency uh, company. So it's kind of a, a, someone that I know. Her mother happens to work in an agency and she, her boss basically came into the room and showed this to them and say, we need to do this for our clients. That's the first one. The second one was a pretty well-known consulting firm that's based in our region. The CEO basically sent it to all the team members and said, whatever this guy wrote in this McKenzie presentation, we need to start doing more of that. So uh, it's kind of nice validation that you kind of hear by a third party that um, the ideas are useful and they spread even without you really putting that much effort. That's why I feel for this platform, it's something that's really underutilized and we need to use it a lot more. A lot of more work goes into good slideshow carousel than people think. And uh, just breaking up a post into 10 slides doesn't work. So we had, I think, uh, I lost track, four things, topic, leverage brands, uh, the covers important, uh, useful information. What is the fifth thing? <laughs> I would say, I mean, this is not really a specific thing, but I've just seen other people do it. You need a strategy to build engagement. And how do you do it? Because I think most people have the mindset that if you just build something, people will come and they'll engage with it and they'll just give you virality for free. People will not do that. So one of the times I posted a carousel recently, analyzing how another creator who is also on LinkedIn, his name is, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's spelled N-A-I-M, I think it's Naim or name. And I like his strategy because with every carousel that he did, he would have a strategy to get people to comment to get something for free, which he already has made. So not only is he building authority for himself, but he's building engagement inorganically, almost artificially but it's going to work for the algorithm somehow, right? So I thought that was very smart of him to do. He's done it so many times, even repurposing his existing carousels, which I don't know if I should have mentioned, but it's just something I noticed. But he's doing well. He recently quit his job at Cognizant and now he's running his own thing. Oh. So I'm really happy for him. I just literally, before I got on this call, I, I messaged him and I said, congratulations on the new role that you created for yourself. And he says it's about time. I think so too. So he's been very smart about it. He only had less than a thousand followers. And in two months, he already has 7,000 followers. He's, he has enough clients to quit his job. So that really is the success story right there. Cool. That sounds cool. I, I'm going to look him up and uh, add all of these uh, people you mentioned to the show notes so people can check that up. 
So let's talk about your viral posts. I saw three that went beyond a thousand likes. I think one with three thousand. Give us like a quick story. Did you aim for virality? Did they just happen to be viral? What are the things that you see in these posts that worked well that you would attribute to them going viral? Okay, so you asked three questions. So I'll go with the first one. Right? Did I know that they will do well? I think I had an idea, to be frank. It's not that I'm bragging or anything. It's just it has the formula or at least all the right things that would make it something that could go viral. Again, I wouldn't say all the content is 100% new. True be told, right? I've seen other viral posts on other platforms that are not LinkedIn where these kinds of topics have done well. Obviously, I did not copy and paste them. Uh, I have my own view and my own unique spin on it. But at least you know the angle sort of works. So for the Nike one, I think I've seen it somewhere, but not in the same frame of thinking and the same analysis. So I kind of took that and give it my own spin. So that's the first one. For the McKenzie post, I'll be honest with you. I actually posted the same thing two years ago, but nobody, I mean, it got viral for a bit, but I didn't leverage that. And I thought that was such a waste. And because carousels are coming back, I basically took the same content, redesigned the whole thing, and I posted it again. So I would say that's a bit of cheating because I already sort of knew it would do well. I do intend to do it again two years from now. <laughs> and we'll see where it goes, right? So that's one. For the chat GPT one, like I mentioned, I already sort of knew that would work because everyone's talking about it. I don't think there was an angle on this that was useful at the time. So I kind of knew that it was something that people would use, that people could get behind and, and really get into it. So I just went with that and obviously it worked out. I feel because of the... The amount of carousels we're seeing now, it's a bit harder to go viral. If you aren't doing super general appeal, like tools, um, compilations, you know, if you're not doing that, it's going to be a bit more difficult now. But I feel there's still a lot of ways to spin it and to be smart about it. And I think we just need to think a, a bit more carefully. You posted them. They went online and walk us through what happened because if you have thousands of people like and comment that's a lot of work which i think is the one thing that people forget about with viral posts it's a lot of work it is a lot of work it is tell us um so what will happen when you have a viral post is the first thing is you'll get a lot of comments of people being very happy about it which is great and you'll be very happy to reply to them they sometimes have questions they'll ask you things like can you send it to them although there's a download button there but you <laughs> you just send it to them anyway so that's one thing the second thing is you'll get a lot of haters people who don't agree with your opinion and they feel the need to challenge your opinion because i don't understand the phenomenon again you're not out there to kind of disprove them or make them feel bad but for some reason they take it very personally i'll give you one example i think on the chat gpt post someone wanted to get into an argument with me about whether ai is gonna like take over the world or something i'm like dude i'm just writing about how to create content here you gotta chill out you know i'm not <laughs> gonna have an argument with you about whether this is the future so the funny thing is there's another guy who started to comment with him and agree with him. So they had their own little conversation on the feed and I just left them be. Again, I don't think there's a point in engaging with negativity because I'm not here to push any agenda for AI or anything. It's just I'm trying to use it, right? So I think knowing how to deal with that is also important because you can post something that is great and a bit more general appeal, but you'll have people who come and say that you copied it from somewhere or you have an opinion that is very outdated. And again, I think these people feel the need to do that because they haven't been able to do something like this on their own. And they feel that this could either be a good way to capitalize on that, which I, I appreciate and respect them for. They feel like maybe if they can showcase their opinion there, people will see it and people will comment on it or whatever, you know, power to them. I'm just going to focus on making more stuff because there are a lot of people who can benefit and 
if you're not so happy with it, that's fine. You know, I don't owe the full explanation to everybody. But uh, as and when, when I have the time to do it, I do it. I mean, I'm, I just had a child. So <laughs> I, I write most of my posts sitting on the toilet, to be honest with you. So as and when I have the time, if I can reply to comments, I do. I think it helps, again, build some rapport with people. I don't always believe that it makes it even more viral than it is. But I have noticed that the, the platform itself certain posts can start to pick up traction after two or three days, which is very odd, but that, that, that does happen. So I think there are still people who are sharing my posts. So I think reposting is very powerful, right? Because when you repost it, that lives on for another three to four days on somebody else's feed and they can repost the original. So uh, I think reposting is really the right strategy if you can get people to do it, but it's not going to be easy to do it. So maybe you can combine uh, what name did with incentivizing people to repost it maybe that is the action that you should try to get people to do. That's so interesting what you say with, with the, so after a couple of days, I had the same thing with a post of mine that went viral and that thing sort of happened, started very slowly and I think after a week it exploded in a market that I didn't know about in like East Africa in a very specific group, but sort of after a week. So it can take some time. Cool. Little tangent here, sorry. So the other interesting thing is did it help you drive business? I mean, did you have people reach out to you and inquire about your services or how How did you see if that didn't happen, how do you see it sort of drive business for you? Yeah, so 100% that is the golden question and that's most important. And I feel it is one that we need to address. So first thing is, yes, it did drive leads. It did drive pipeline. And I wouldn't say like a lot. Again, there are some pipeline that came in, but they are not qualified. They are asking for certain things that we don't do. Uh, but I would say it drove at least forty to $60,000 in pipeline. You yeah. know, we just need to kind of move that down the line before we can say definitely it was a business deal. But I would say they were very highly qualified, at least for the specific ones. And they already knew who we were. So I, I feel that was a great benefit. The second thing is it helped to reactivate a lot of old clients that we haven't spoken to in a while. They're like, oh, I saw your thing on LinkedIn. You know, I'm like, do you even use LinkedIn? I didn't know that. So I think we we cannot shirk the benefits of what we're doing just based on who is new that we meet. But it's also good to re-engage with old people. That's another thing. At the same time, I also got a lot of inquiries for things that I didn't really offer at the time. Like people wanted me to coach them on how to use LinkedIn. Uh, they were willing to pay. There was this one guy who said, free or paid, if you have anything for me, you know, message me because <laughs> I want you to do something for me. Or another one who would message me and ask me if I did marketing for solopreneurs. I can consult, but right now I don't offer that service. So I just had to turn him away or share that, you know, maybe there's a better option. So I would say definitely it worked out for me. That's why I'm doubling down this year to spend more time here, try more formats. I would love to do more videos, but uh, I'm soon, I, I need to get past that whole uh, <laughs> my face on video kind of thing. So I feel if we can try more of that this year, that would be pretty nice because I know for a fact that there's so much room. There's so few people that are posting and there's so much visibility that you can build with the right audience. I don't even think that I've done it to the best extent of my abilities yet. I don't think my profile is super optimized yet. I believe we can do that a lot better. I believe I can do a lot more collaboration. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, right? I feel the lead gen so far has been decent. I think it can be a lot better, uh, but we need better offers. I haven't even put out a post about what we offer, if you realize. <laughs> I've just been sharing a lot of content. So it's such a waste, right? And I think I need to scale up on that front to really see more pronounced results. Cool. I want to stress two things that you said because they resonate with me. One is what you said, reactivating people that you have in your network. That's also a thing that I see and I think that a lot of people underestimate with LinkedIn. So just being out there helps to, to reconnect with people that you know, but that sort of kind of forgot about you. 
And the other thing, I think you kind of touched on it, but is um, what, what I've seen that I have a lot of people that don't comment, don't like, but when I meet them in a one-on-one setting, they're like, hey, I see your content, I love it. Whereas I realize, okay, my stuff is seen by many more people, even though they, they never show up. So it seems to be working. And that's something that I also just heard and that I think people sometimes underestimate or it's like the wrong expectation that you post and then you have a direct inquiry. But very often it's sort of like people see you and sort of probably speak with you or easier to buy from you, even without liking, commenting, engaging. But you are just sort of more the top of the minds with what you've done. Yeah, I think um, I want to add on to that because there are many different strategies of how you can close more sales via LinkedIn. One of them is you need to be very active in outreach, making new relationships and finding the people that are ready to buy from you. But not everyone will be. And I think the beauty of it is if you can commit to it for a period of time, when they are, who will they think of first? I think it's easy to say that. It's not easy to prove that. That's why a lot of people will come and say like, no, you know, you're wasting your time because you're not going to see these results. I believe you will not see results so quickly. And the fact that we've seen any at all, it's a miracle already. So if we can commit to this for maybe three to six months and we can see some of this really work out for us and start to do more outreach a bit more aggressively, I believe that we can see a lot more pronounced impact from the work that we do. And you're hitting on one thing that I think is also like misunderstood. We've done a lot of outreach for business coaches. Nobody is looking for a business coach. So whenever you reach out on behalf of the business coach, it's the wrong time because people are not interested. But by you being present, building relationship, being known by business owners as a coach, they will remember you when they are ready to work with business coach. When they think of, hey, I need a business coach, who are they going to remember? Probably the business coach that reached out to them like six months ago or 12 months ago that they constantly see pop up in their feed. And I think this timing thing is what is usually misunderstood that very often you are not what people are looking for at the moment because they have other problems. So it's not about sort of selling now, but just being present. So when they're ready, they will remember you. Yeah, I mean, I agree a few hundred percent. I feel we need a mix of strategies, right? Um, We need something that's a bit longer term. And then we need another one that's a bit shorter term. I have seen results doing outbound on LinkedIn in the past. Basically, reach people who have seen my post. I've seen them look at it a couple of times because I have LinkedIn Premium. I can see who sees my profile and everything. I would reach out to them and that facilitates and accelerates the sale. So it does work. It's just, can you catch them at the right time? Not always. So it's it's worth doing both so that with your limited amount of time, if you can catch the ones that are kind of ready to buy, that's great. But for everyone who is not, you start to build out the pipeline that way. Just that it's a bit harder to measure depending on what platform you have. But what I found is if you run a small team or you are by yourself, you don't have a lot of time to do so many platforms and channels anyway. So it's better if you pick one that you know everybody lives on that they spend a lot of time on, that they will see you very prominently on so that you spend your time in the best effort to return ratio possible, right? And I think most people will, you know, they'll call foul, they'll, you know, you, my way is better, you got to send emails, you know, you got to send all these cold messages. I would say it's not that your way is bad. It's just that I don't have the time to do everything. So I'm going to spend it on the time that helps to scale trust building for me and my company. Yeah, there are so many different strategies. You have to do the one strategy that works for you. And if that is scanning who's viewed your profile, reaching out to these people, and uh, then that's a great strategy. Just do that consistently, not so like uh, try this this week and then try the other thing next week and the complaint doesn't work. But I think that's one of the, the things that is sort of like this secret, see LinkedIn secret, scanning who's viewed your profile. 
if you have an active posting style and reach out to people and connect and so I think few people do that and it works nicely. So I'm respectful of your time, though it's super interesting to talk with you. Now let's go back to what we spoke in the beginning, LinkedIn in Asia. So like, let's, let's see this as a bonus part of this podcast because it's not part of the usual viral post podcast. But um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like a thing that I find really fascinating that I see only few Asians on LinkedIn. So though it's such a big market, well, like 2 billion people in Asia, like, like the whole region. And I feel like all I see is North America and a bit of Europe. Why is that spotlight on you? So as I mentioned before, and actually we know 5% of users are based within our, my region, Southeast Asia. Let's not say like general Asia. I would say that's like 5% of 800 million people. That's about, me think if I can do the math really quickly. That's about 40 million, which 40 is a million, lot of yeah. people still. Like I said, culturally, I feel we are a lot more conservative in how we share ideas. Obviously, if you look to the, the Westerners, the Americans, the Europeans, even the South Africans, they are very forward with their thinking. They're very happy to advertise themselves and promote themselves. Unfortunately, in Asia, we are still very kept. It's not exactly taboo. It's just more of, in my country, we call it a flex. If we use it in this way, like, oh, you're flexing because you're able to do this, because you have these things. Why are you so publicly sharing all these things? So I think you can do it in a very classy and tasteful way when you're bragging or when you're sharing about things. I think most people don't have a concept of how to do marketing, right? Most people don't have a concept of how to do content. You wouldn't believe it. You know, I just met a friend recently and he says he wants to post on LinkedIn more. I say, when will you do that? He says, I'll wait till I have something to share. Till I've spoken at this event, you know, I'm speaking at that next week. So I want to post about that. I say, you don't have to wait for these things because then you'll be, you'll just spend a lot of time waiting, right? So I think we need to understand that we have a unique voice, each and every mm -hmm. one of us. We have something useful to share. And because sometimes we're so deeply entrenched in what we're doing, we feel that everyone knows these things already. They do not. And most of your clients are not professional buyers anyway. They don't know what's out there. They probably haven't read a lot of things. They probably don't follow any of your competitors as much as you do. And a lot of what's holding us back is we're scared of what people will think. It's a very sad thing that even not on LinkedIn, but even in the real world, when we are trying to go for interviews, we're trying to get jobs, we just get steamrolled by ca Caucasian people because they are just so much more confident. You know, they're just so much more willing to talk about their achievements. <laughs> I, I mean, it's fine. It's, it's a thing. But I, I feel we just need to play catch up on that because it's useful. It's unique. And it's the one thing that AI cannot replace. Your human ingenuity, what's special about you, what people know about you, how they feel about your personality. And if, if we choose to stay this way, we will lose and we will continue to lose. So I've taken it upon myself that although I feel very uncomfortable doing it at times, you know, I need to put myself out there. For example, just last week on Friday or Thursday, I posted that I was willing to share how I use LinkedIn to maximum 100 people. Obviously, I didn't anticipate that there would be 100 people who signed up. I just was going to share for my team um, how, to, how to use the platform. And I got 130 signups. So I had to close signups and say like, no, no, no more people. So that was nice. And I think oh, one thing I do want to share, sorry to, to interrupt you, Simon, is that a lot of the times, this is my feeling, when people, everyone's doing something, it's the wrong thing to do. You got to do something else. You got to be creative, right? So in 2020, when everyone was getting on Zoom, doing virtual events and all that, basically, if you started a virtual event, you'd be one of a million virtual events out there. So no one's going to come for yours. But today, everyone's gone back to the office. Everyone's going for physical events. And there are fewer and fewer virtual events, right? Hmm. That is the opportunity. When no one's doing it, you have to do it because basically you will cut through the noise. There is no noise, essentially. 
I, which is why I think when I put that out, it was so quick to get filled out because no one's running this virtual event. No one's giving value for free. True. Everyone's charging for it. Everyone's going to physical events. Everyone's following what the majority is doing. And that's the wrong thing to do. Similarly to how in Asia, everyone's still trying to hire tons of SDRs, send cold emails. No one's posting on LinkedIn. That's the best time to do it. So I'm doubling down on all the things that everyone's not doing in hopes that it will pay off very handsomely. Well, I think we've seen that with uh, some of the things you've you've done in the past and uh, I'm looking forward to more of your posts. So as we come to the end, what what are your what to tell our audience your closing words? I would say again I I don't want to make it an obvious thing, but I will repeat it because I think it needs to be said, which is sometimes you just have to get started. I know some people are going to throw stones at me and say, you know, you can't just tell people to get started because they're going to do it the wrong way. But I believe that overthinking kills productivity, overthinking kills action. And if you don't get started, you never will. I sat on LinkedIn for a year. I didn't post anything because I was afraid I would be doing it wrongly. I wanted to plan out five months of content before I ever started. Obviously, that did not work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just an overachiever kind of thing that I want to do. But my belief is that you need to start immediately and you need to commit to a schedule. You need to commit to a habit. When it becomes a natural thing that you write every day, it's going to help you think better. It's going to make you smarter. It's going to help you build more connection. And I think if we can put our voice out there very regularly in a unique way, saying unique things that help people, that is essentially the best form of marketing available. And that's the most natural form of marketing available. Obviously, there will be ways to use automation. But when we get all caught up in that, you know, you tend to not really do anything. (laughs) So I would say with what you have, what you know, Think about what's unique in the way that you think about certain things that other people don't commonly hold as beliefs. What is your specialty? What is your special expertise in how you can execute content? Think about that and just get out there and try to do something. Cool. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Eugene. That was a super interesting conversation and I'm sure all our listeners love that as well. Thank you. All right, Ken, it's great talking, Simon. I'm looking forward to seeing the final thing, but also looking forward to seeing the rest of the interviewees that you had. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the How I Went Viral podcast. We would love to see your takeaways from this interview. Please visit Simon's profile on LinkedIn and leave a comment or ask a question on one of his LinkedIn posts for this series. If you like the show and want to listen to conversations with LinkedIn influencers, please follow Simon on LinkedIn and subscribe to the company page of Storylux.